0: Good morning, Red Cedar. It's good to be with you. We are going to be in Exodus this morning, taking a little detour from Philippians. Um, We're going to be in Exodus chapter 14, and you can find that on page 56 of the Church Bibles. Before we get into it, though, and maybe even while you're turning, let me pray for us. Father, Would you be our vision in the night? We feel it, Lord. We feel the darkness of this world. And we want to be like stars shining in this dark world, like what we've been reading and hearing in Philippians. But we are discouraged and tired and fearful. But Lord, thank you that you won't leave us there. Thank you that you don't stay away from us, but that you're with us. So would you be here with us this morning? We know you are. Would you please help us? We pray this um, not because of anything good about ourselves, but we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Do you know what it's like to have your faith wobble? I know many of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, but if you're like me, even though the Lord has come through for you again and again and again, you have moments that make your faith wobble. One bad review, one family meltdown, one terrifying event, and suddenly worry and fear win the day. It's one thing to trust Jesus to save you in general. It's another thing entirely to keep trusting him in every specific moment of today. Uh, In Exodus 14, we're going to join Israel in the middle of a faith-wobbling crisis. They've just left Egypt, where they saw God do wonder after wonder after wonder, to save them from slavery, but today we are going to see terror strike, and their faith will falter. And when it's all said and done, these people are going to sing, the Lord is my strength and my song, just like we sang this morning. He's going to be our salvation. Let me ask you, what would it look like for you to sing that song when your faith wobbles? In order to trust God in the specific moments of today, especially the terrifying ones, you need God to be more than just your one-time savior. You need him to be your salvation. And that's the point of today's story. You can trust the God who saved you to be your salvation today. So let's read it. We're going to start... In 1321, and go all the way through chapter 14 to the beginning of 15, verse 2. So it's a long story, but I'm excited for you to hear it in full. And I'm not going to ask you to stand for this, but out of reverence for God's word, please do follow along carefully and thoughtfully. I know for some of you that might mean reading, for some of you that might mean just listening, maybe closing your eyes and listening. I'd love for you to hear this story in its its entirety. So let me read it. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-zaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we've done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-hahiroth, in front of Baal zephon When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory. ...over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud in the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Red Cedar, it's one thing to say God saved me. It's another thing to say today God is my salvation. One pastor calls each day a fight for faith. Another says, keep trusting the God who keeps you trusting. That's what we're after here faith in God to be your salvation today. So I want to give you three ways from our story that you can trust God to be your salvation. And then I'll end with one big reason you can always trust him. Way number one to trust God to be your salvation today, it comes from verse two. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. Way number one is this, trust God to lead you in the turn-back moments of life. Trust God to lead you in the turn-back moments of life. A turn-back moment is when you've been making progress steadily in a direction, and then something happens to set you back or maybe entirely throw you off. God's command to turn back seems totally out of step with any type of sane rescue plan. In fact, you saw it in the passage. He essentially says, Turn around so that you'll become bait for Egypt. Pharaoh's going to see you wandering around in the wilderness and think you're struggling and come after you. That doesn't seem like a good plan um, at first glance. But God's rescue plan is always more than a rescue plan, it's a glory plan, too. And that's what he's after here. God doesn't want to simply save his people. He wants everyone to see that he himself is their salvation, and that's what he wants you to see this morning. The same spirit in the pillar of fire that led the Israelites leads you. He lives in you, and he has a proven track record of using inefficiently, or inefficient and seemingly weak methods to show his glory. God uses inefficient methods weak methods to show his glory and he lives in you. When God leads you into a place that you would never choose to go, you can trust that he's doing multiple good things that you might not be able to see. That doesn't mean that the things around you are good. Not at all. The evil that's around us, that's not good, but we serve a God who leads us into the middle of those things to show his goodness. Have you glimpsed that truth, I wonder? You're making good progress in your career, and then suddenly you get hit by a false accusation or a chronic illness or a parent who suddenly needs a whole lot more care than before, and your life shifts. You have to stop doing the work that's become such a part of you and maybe even more part of you than you realized. God's not surprised by your turn back moment. He's not surprised because He's the one who led you into it. It doesn't make it good, but it does mean that He's planning to get glory through you as you walk through it. Uh, many of you know that right now, God has called Lauren and me into a new field of ministry. The elders and I agree that it's good for me to get to, uh, to transplant me so that I can keep growing in my strengths as a pastor. And we're aiming to have that happen in the next year or so. Uh, It's an exciting time in many ways, but if you've ever been through a job transition, you know that it can be a terrifying time too. Uh, I've been telling people that it's kind of like when I get on my roof To clean my gutters and then have to get back down from the roof. I'm a bit of a cheapskate, so I haven't invested in a tall enough ladder. (laughs) And I have this balcony that goes off of our master bedroom. So in order to clean my gutters, I climb onto the roof using a six-step, I think it is, step ladder. And it gets me up enough to get my arms on the roof. And then I pull myself up. And that's easy. Um, The problem the problem is when I get done cleaning the gutters, and I didn't even think about this the first time I tried it, but I've done it this way ever since. Um, the problem is when I get down, because I have to dangle my, I have to hold myself up like this and dangle my feet over my roof to feel, where's that step ladder? And then the most terrifying moment when I finally shift my weight down onto it. Um, it's a thrill. Um, but... But isn't, isn't uncertainty in life kind of like that? Where you're, you're looking for the next thing. You know there's stable ground. If you've trusted Jesus, you know he's with you. But it can be terrifying. I can feel my mood ebb and flow based on whether or not a given position I'm looking at seems like a real possibility. Um, and I know in my head that my worth and my stability does not depend on whether I make good career progress um, or that I'm seen as someone who could add value, But, but now God is leading me in a way that's driving it deeper into my heart, and it's really good because he's really good. Okay, what about this? Another area you would be making progress in and then God leads you into a setback moment. For you, it might be a temptation, a sin struggle that's just a theme in your life that keeps resurfacing. Your routine gets thrown off, maybe due to travel or a crisis, and you lose sleep, and you're away from normal Christian community. And then isn't it discouraging to feel those urges kick in? Sinful urges, or, or you see in a conversation the sin crops up in a way that you had thought you'd dealt with it, but here it is again. If that's you today... You can trust that God is not far from you in your turn back moment. The Holy Spirit who, uh, who led his people through the wilderness also led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted. And in your moment of temptation, you can trust that he is leading you. He's leading you in the face of your enemies. Why? to get glory. Do you receive that? I mean, do you hear what that means? It means that the sin and temptation that easily brings shame to us, and rightly brings shame to us, God does not stay away from us because of that sin. And Jesus has died to lift that shame. And so his Holy Spirit is with you, doing a good work as you walk through the temptation. What about grief? Specifically, what about the grief of what happened at MSU? For many of you, I know that you are in a turn back moment because of what has happened. That the place that is your just such a part of your life for work or for study or for ministry. There a whole there's I can't imagine I'm guessing that there are a whole lot of different emotions now associated with going back on campus. Suddenly the place that was such a normal part of life carries anxiety and pain for many. Maybe numbness. I don't know. Um, Is the answer just to have more faith? No. No, it's not. That's unhelpful, oversimplistic. But you can fight for faith. Why? because God is with you as you go back to campus in anxiety or fear or numbness, whatever it is. He is no stranger to your day. He's he's not surprised by uh, by the people that you'll talk with. He's not surprised by the feelings that they have or the relationships he's called you to engage with. So how do you fight for faith? What does that mean? Uh, It doesn't just mean that you repeat faith statements over and over. God actually gives a better way. He says that you can reach out to him with your need as you go back. He will lead you in the midst of it. Uh, Jeff, I'm so grateful for you leading us through a lament prayer. Um, Peter, I'm so grateful for God's guidance in the song that we sang this morning that I mean, in the midst of the darkness, God does not just say, speak the truth to yourself. He says, reach out to me. I'm here in the midst of it. So you can turn to him. You can complain in a godly way, humbly saying, Lord, I'm seeing this, this is awful. How long, oh Lord? Or like Jeff said in his prayer, why? And maybe we don't get an answer to that. But it can become, I think he can make it an expression of trust in the pain. When God leads you where you would never go, he is accomplishing good you would never imagine. That's what it means to trust God to work in a turn back moment. Okay, way number two to trust God to be your salvation today, don't panic. He will fight for you. God not only leads the people that he saves, he also fights for them in order to save them completely, and that includes today. Uh, I once had a friend who I was out on the ice with. This was right after playing some broomball, and in broomball, you don't wear skates. You just have boots, and it's super slippery, and we were hitting the ball around. My friend hit the ball, and whoosh, he went down on the ice. He had a really puffy coat, so he was okay. He didn't have injuries of any kind. But there was one problem. All of a sudden, he made a whole string of gasping noises, and he struggled to breathe. You know what had happened to him? It was a panic attack from from just the severity of falling unexpectedly. And do you know what helped him? It was when one of us grabbed his hand, picked him up, put an arm around him, held him tight, pressed their hand hard on his chest and said, it's okay, breathe. It's okay, breathe. It's okay, breathe. He was okay. Did you hear Moses do that for Israel in today's story? Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The people are in a panic because they're surrounded by chariots, which were the superpower of the time. Pharaoh went in his chariots. The officers came in their chariots. The horsemen in the army. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is stable faith for unstable people. The army didn't disappear like this, but God said through Moses, I'm here. So, what are you afraid of today? What or who is causing problems that are out of your control? What decision are you waiting to hear back about? What words of acceptance or rejection are hanging over your head? I wonder, um, where are you going this week where you might be trembling on the inside? What are you afraid of today? Uncertainties, angers, what are you afraid of? In that fear, will you hear these words of God through Moses for you? They're for you. If you could trust Jesus to save you from sin and death, what's keeping you from trusting him to work on your behalf today? Right now, Um, two things from our passage that might be holding you back cynicism and spin. Look at what the people say in verse 11. If you like dark humor, you are going to love this. Uh, In verse 11, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Uh, Over this past month, these people have seen God work miraculously. But today, the threat level is overwhelming. And so they talk about God's great plan of deliverance with cynicism. Why did you really bring us out into Egypt, Moses? When you're cynical, you assume that your view of the world is the real view. That you know how things truly are. How the world actually works. But you know what's underneath cynicism? It's fear and disappointment. You use cynicism to get control over your fear and disappointment instead of facing it directly and bringing it to God. Moses, we can see right through you. We can see right through your failed plan. Cynicism is when you get so wrapped up in seeing through things that you become blind to what God might really be up to. C.S. Lewis You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque. What if you saw through the garden too? If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. God is inviting you to drop your cynicism today and to see his salvation. To look at your biggest fear with eyes wide open, expecting to see him work. He's saying to you through the words of Moses, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you you have only to be silent. Drop your cynicism and look for God. He is far more beautiful than any version of the world that you think you, you see clearly. Another thing that might keep you from trusting Jesus' work on your behalf. Spin. Spin is when you tell a story in a way that it twists it to your own advantage. Do you see the spin that the Israelites put on their story in verse 12? They say, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Yes, true. They quest- They did, it's true. They questioned Moses in Egypt that's not the whole truth. They also saw God work in power again and again and again. They obeyed him at Passover and they followed him through the desert to this point. So they're putting spin on the story in order to make themselves look good. They're going to uh, they're gonna die at the hand of Pharaoh, but at least they can tell Moses off first. That's essentially what's happening here. Uh, doesn't it feel soothing sometimes? When you're in pain, to prove to yourself that you were right all along. This is especially true when you're in conflict and in an argument with somebody. Um, That's the way of death. It will make you miss what God is doing right now. When you are facing a scary and uncertain situation, you will be tempted to vindicate yourself, to prove to yourself and others that this is not your fault. If you notice yourself doing that, no matter matter how right you sound in your head, you've got a bigger problem because your focus is off of God and what he will do, and it's on yourself and proving that you're right. Don't miss trusting him to be your salvation today because you're too busy spinning the past in your own mind. Hear the word of Moses as God's word for you. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord that he will work for you today. It's here right now. Now, you might be saying, Matt, I see how it made sense for Israel to trust God to fight for them, but my life feels so much more normal than this story. How does it really apply to me? Well, just like God the Holy Spirit is your leader, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is your warrior today. He's already fought the evil in your heart. The evil in your heart is evil against the God who created you. Uh, Roman generals used to make peace. Do you know how they made peace? They made peace by conquering and subduing their enemies. And the Apostle Paul, writing in Romans times, says that Jesus has made peace. He's made peace between a just God and guilty sinners By the blood of his cross. That's how he fought to make peace. Jesus has also fought against the evil around you. You are surrounded by spiritual forces of evil, Satan and demons, who are thousands of times more powerful than you are. But Paul writes that when Jesus took the debt of our sin onto himself, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. They might be thousands of times more powerful than you, but they're creatures, and the creator himself became human to beat them at their own game. Jesus is a warrior against this world. He has come to save this world, but he fights against the evil in this world. He has become your path through the waters of death and judgment out of this world and into a better one because he's going to make this new. I'm not going to say much about this right now because that's where our story is taking us next. For now, know this. Jesus is your path. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay, so you can trust the God who saved you to be your salvation. How? by trusting him to lead you through turnback moments. Way two, don't panic, he'll fight for you. Here's way three, you can step forward with him as your path. Uh, my wife Lauren and I both get a bit anxious when we're going to a party that has strangers. Uh, and when our kids were little, we realized that we both share the same coping mechanism for these situations. It's holding a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Numerous times, going into a house, I've said to Lauren, oh, I can take him. And she gives me that wry smile. And she says, are you kidding me? And turns around and walks through the door, leaving me with no security blanket (laughs) whatsoever. Um, If we humans find security from the presence of a baby, how much more comfort could we gain from knowing God's presence with us? God wants you to trust him today by relying on his presence. But what does that mean? You can hold a baby. You can go on a walk with a friend. You can sit in a tree stand with a buddy. What does it mean? I mean, we know what it means to enjoy the presence of other people. What does it mean to enjoy God's presence? Our story shows us. It means stepping forward, trusting that he is your way right now. Look at how God is the way for his people in this story. He's present as a commander, telling Moses exactly what to do, all he needs to know, how it's going to happen, why he's doing what he's doing. That's in verses 16 through 18. And then in verse 19, he's present as their rear guard. The angel of the Lord, who is going before the host of Israel, moved from in front of them and went behind them, between their enemies and them. God himself has his people's back. The angel of God here is best translated the angel who is God. Here and many times in the Old Testament, when you see angel of the Lord, that's talking about God himself taking a presence to be with his people. And here he's actually one and the same with the pillar of cloud and smoke. Um, Doug Stewart, an Exodus scholar, says that uh, it's not like there's a separate angel of God and then the pillar. That's the angel of God is the pillar. And he comes and he leads and protects his people. But that's not all. God is present here as the sender of the winds. Did you see that? I had forgotten that about this story. That it wasn't like the waters just parted. There were winds all night long. As if to say, God is here making this happen. He's the one who's parting the sea. And he's, did you notice it happens all night long? Like this goes all through the wee hours of the morning. And there's this uh, great warrior present doing just what he said he would do. He's fighting for his people, first by destroying Egypt's superweapon. Did you see in the story when he looks down from the cloud and then he throws them into chaos? He defeats the superweapon, the chariots, and then he drowns the entire army after his people crossed to dry land. All the people needed to do to experience God's presence was to step forward. Christian, you can be confident that in whatever uncertainty or fear you are facing today, Israel's rear guard will be your salvation. He made a path for his people and was with them at every step. But he has become your path. He made a path for his people by going through the waters. He became your path by taking humanity forever and walking through death. He got right into the thick of battle and looked down from the cloud to completely rescue his people. But he got wounded, crushed, and looked down from a cross to completely rescue you. He wiped out the Egyptian army with waters of judgment. He took the judgment for sin that you and I deserve. So will you trust this God to be your salvation today? He does not stay away from the people that he rescues. He is their salvation. When he was about to suffer and die surrounded by enemies, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When he was about to leave this world and ascend into heaven, he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And right now, from his throne in heaven, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is a fight for faith, but you can trust him to be your path. You can step forward in life, resting in the presence of this Lord. That's the third way to trust God as your salvation. Trust him to be your path. But I want to leave you not with a way to trust, but with the big reason that you can trust the God who saved you to be your salvation today. Here it is. It's because God's fight for you is actually a fight for his own glory. In other words, his commitment to you relies on something way stronger than anything good about you. It rests on his commitment to get glory by saving you completely. The beginning of the story in verse 4 I will harden Pharaoh's heart, he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The middle of the story, verse 17. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I have gotten glory. And then the climax of the story, verse 25, as the chariots are clogging up, let us flee from before Israel. And now the Egyptians say it, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the end of the story gives us a surprise. This whole time, God has been talking about getting glory over the Egyptians. But look who stands in awe of his glory when it's all said and done. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God ordered Israel to turn back. He assured them in their panic, and he saved them with his presence, not because of anything great about them, not because they had amazing faith, I mean, you tell me, did they have amazing faith in this story? Uh, They just kept walking after complaining and being scared out of their minds. (laughs) There's not even evidence of moderately strong faith here, but God saved them for his glory. He saves you for his glory. He's your salvation today for his glory, and he longs for you to fight for faith. In fact, Uh, Israel, in the terror of it all, they rejected him as king. Did you notice that? They said, we wish we'd stayed with King Pharaoh. But God became his people's salvation to show that I'm your true king. And he's going to finish what he started for you, too. He's just as committed now to get glory as the king of your life. He's present with you, even in the hard stuff. You're sealed by his spirit. He fought for you. You were bought with his own blood, and he's your path through this sin-darkened world because he wants to get glory. So take him as your strength and your song. Take him as you come to the table and eat and drink. This table is open to all who've trusted in Jesus as their Savior and King, or to any who want to trust him for the first time as Savior and King. This table is open for you. Jesus' body broken to make a way through. His blood shed to make a way through so that God could be your peace, so that God could show his glory. So if you trust Jesus, please come. If you're not sure where you're at with God, please wait. uh, But watch and pray and look and see because God is working a great salvation and he can work it for you if you put your trust in him. Take him as your strength and your song because he has become Your salvation. Let me pray, and then we'll take about 30 seconds and reflect. Reflect on what God is saying through his word to you this morning, and then you come and take and receive. We'll hold on to the bread and the cup, uh, and then I'll lead us in taking it together. Father, you have triumphed gloriously. You've thrown the horse and the rider into the sea, and for us, that means you've defeated this, uh, this sin that we feel the presence of right now. You've defeated the devil and, and all the forces of evil. You've defeated um, this dark world and made us lights in it. Lord, we long for you to lead us home. We pray you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.